Hello and welcome to the latest Digital CX Tool podcast. I'm your host, Mike Bizarre, and my guest today is once again, Alan Schimmel, CEO of TechStrong Group, publisher of DevOps.com, Security Boulevard, Container Journal, TechStrong TV, and of course, Digital CXO. Hey, Alan, welcome to the show. Hey, Mike, welcome. Great to be back on. So there's a lot of time and effort now has gone into various digital business transformation projects. And let's say over the last four or five years has been the primary arc. And we're starting to see the results of those efforts. And one of the things that keeps coming up is this notion of digital friction. And at the core of it is a lack of empathy. And I think we've talked about this in the land of DevOps in the past, but it almost feels like a lot of folks are designing these processes with their end goal in mind and then trying to push that out to the employee or their end customer. And I wonder if we just got it backwards and a lot of these people are failing because they're not thinking about it from the perspective of the employee or the customer in. What do you say? Uh, I think this whole thing's a red herring. I'll be honest with you. I, I will tell you digital friction here at Textron Group. Someone doesn't know how to Google cast. Someone's Zoom isn't working today. Someone's malware bytes is interfering with Google. Someone can't get something to work. It's classic help desk stuff, except these people are remote on non-standardized equipment. And so it's a little harder. And also, quite frankly, companies haven't been investing in, you know, the IT help guy. We used to have a guy, you know, when I was in Colorado, Jake. I'm sorry, if your email wasn't working today, Jake helped you. We have a similar kind of person here at TechStrong, Mike. But we don't have a formal sort of help desk because I think part and parcel with the digital transformation is many organizations expect their employees to be somewhat digitally proficient. And when you get yourself a troglodyte, right, that you got to hold their hand, to, you know, learning Slack and so forth, it really, it slows down the whole organization. But that doesn't make digital transformation a failure. I think the whole digital friction being a reason why digital transformation is not succeeding yeah, it's all Gartner hype cycle BS. Do you think, therefore, maybe the new help desk is this thing that people are referring to as the digital transformation office that they've set up to help with that transition? Yeah, I think that's a really expensive name, and expensive names usually are expensive. And I don't think we need expensive names that are expensive to help people use their SaaS-based apps. I, quite frankly, I find I'm our best IT help guy right here in TechStrong myself. After having let other people do it, I, I, I do it fine. I wind up helping most of our people here. I, I, and so am I a one-man digital transformation office? No. A lot of- Sorry to bust your bubble on that, Mike, but that's how I feel. Well, I get how you feel, but you know, there's a lot of big companies out there and they don't all have CEOs who are willing to be the digital transformation office single-handedly. So what's a big I, And I don't want to be, believe me. But <laughs> you know, I but here's the thing. It, it really to me it's helping the triangle lights a lot of times. If if you have a problem with Zoom, why not, before you go call out the cavalry, why don't you go Google? Is any, you know, is Zoom down? Is Zoom having problems? If it's a real problem, you're going to see it on Google. You know, 
I, wa- I get NFL Sunday ticket over the internet. This Sunday, I was watching my Steelers lose to the Patriots. And about halfway through the second quarter, the damn thing went down. And I did everything. I rebooted my router. I reset the, the Apple TV. I, you know, I went through the usual checklist. Couldn't get it to work. I Googled NFL Sunday ticket down. It sent me over to Twitter where there were about 3,000 tweets of people raging on, on DirecTV because NFL Sunday ticket was down. And there wasn't a darn thing I can do. Same thing as when Zoom is down. Zoom, I, 99 out of 100, 999 times out of 1,000, if Zoom is down, it's not just down for Textron. Zoom is down, right? And so do I need an Office of Digital Transformation to tell you Zoom is down? I don't know. Hmm. What about the troglodytes themselves? Do we, because, you know, if they have one issue, they're going to have 100 issues. So do we yeah. train them? Or do we kind of say at some point, fish or cut bait? Or don't hire them, right? So, and I say that tongue in cheek, right? But one of the things that I do when I interview people, frankly, is I, I try to get an idea of just how digital native they are, right? Do they go on social media? Do they stream video? Do they use a password manager at home? Right? I try to get an idea of how digitally savvy people are. Because, I mean, and again, TechStrong's not every man. I get it. But for our purposes, if we've got people who aren't digitally savvy here, they're probably not going to do well here. And I don't even know if I want to invest the time in making them better digital natives. Now, that being said, we've had a few. A particular VP of sales, head of sales comes to mind. Uh, and over time, they do catch on. I do agree with this. People who are not technically savvy and, and using it are a drag on the organization. They slow things down. They slow everyone else down. All right. Well, I guess maybe we'll be moving through a generational cycle and things will get better as we go along. But no doubt. No doubt. You mentioned SaaS apps. So let's shift to this next topic that we have on our list here. SaaS apps have emerged as more than just a bunch of applications that people are using um, randomly to automate a process. There was a massive explosion in SaaS app adoption post-COVID, but it also seems like now they're kind of like the new platform that people are building custom applications on top of. In a lot of cases, for example, they are using Salesforce as the base, and then they're building a custom app on top of that, and they're using DevOps workflows to do that, at least in some of the more sophisticated organizations. So are SaaS apps kind of like the new base platform and people are just going, I don't want to reinvent the bottom end of the application that's all the same everywhere we go and when it already exists somewhere else. So do we need to rethink how we think about SaaS platforms? I, I don't think we need to rethink about it, but I think I think a little primer would would do well here, right? And it's funny, I actually had this conversation with the CEO of a Boston-based startup, Jellyfish, this morning doing an interview. So when we think about Salesforce, you mentioned Salesforce, right? Salesforce didn't invent CRM. A lot of everyone used CRM before sales. Salesforce didn't come out until like 2004, 2005. Everyone used CRM before that. But we use things like Siebel or other heavy, heavy, you know, the Oracle apps that were hosted 
they weren't SaaS based. You had to host them. They were self-hosted, if you will. Initially, the great thing about Salesforce that made it so successful was that it was a, a SaaS based platform. So it was a lot less fuss and mess to to you know stand up and keep running. But then Salesforce did something pretty spectacular, at least for them. And well, it really kind of changed the course of history. Is they took that SaaS application they had and made it a platform, which allowed other people to extend, embrace and extend their platform for additional applications. But really, when I hear how you're describing SaaS, Mike, and I, I, I looked at the articles on Digital CXO about it, to me, are we sneaking SaaS in in place of platform as a service, right? So let's go back to Heroku, right? Kind of the original successful platform as the service. What The, the promise of PaaS was, I don't care what sits underneath my app. Don't care about what infrastructure it is. I don't even care about the OS for a lot, you know, for a lot of the security stack. I don't care about that either. I'm going to let the platform provider take care of that. I just worry about my application that sits on, on that platform. Now, if that platform happens to be a SaaS platform, which most of them are, let's face it, right? So be it. And, and so to me, you know, these, these are all children of Heroku. And, and it is the new way. Now, what does that mean, though, for our organizations out there? I think it means that we, we see the rise of what I call SaaS ops. And that is an operations team within the enterprise that is not solely dedicated, but primarily dedicated to the health and well-being of the SaaS apps and SaaS platform that organizations run. Right. Because even though we abdicate a lot of responsibility for the operations of these platforms to the SaaS providers, ultimately, when something hits the fan and your customer's yelling at you, the customer doesn't want to hear, well, it's not really my fault. It's the platform provider's fault. Amazon's down. This one's down on that. Zoom's not working. Well, no, I, I need my stuff that I pay you for to work. I don't really care if you rely on Zoom or Salesforce, or anything else. And, and so SaaS ops, I think, is the, is the answer there. I think you're right in the sense that we are looking at, for lack of a better phrase, PaaS 3.0, and we will need PaaS slash SaaS ops to manage that. I also am concerned, though, that a lot of these companies are trying to stitch workflows across you know, three or four different platforms with different APIs and the probability assessment that something goes wrong starts to increase with each additional platform added. No, no doubt about it. But, you know, I think that train's left the station. It's a complex world we live in. All right. Suck it up, buttercup, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, but I mean, no, no, all kidding aside, right? Look at the proliferation of APIs. And, and then when we got microservice-based architecture, you got even more. You know, I think it's the, the nature of, it's a physics issue. It's the nature of matter and the nature of technology, which is it tends to get more complicated, not more simple. All right. Speaking of complicated, I was in Dublin recently. We're going to talk about two things that were going on over there. The first is this, Hyperledger Foundation, which is an arm of the Linux Foundation, is pushing 
a Hyperledger platform that has a lot of piece parts to it. It is a private blockchain, which is different from, say, Ethereum. And of course, mm -hmm. blockchain is the technology that sits underneath the digital currencies, but it's starting to use now for a lot more what they're calling decentralized applications. Some people refer to it as Web3. What do you make of this whole shift and transition that's going on? Is blockchain starting to emerge as a new type of platform? And are we going to see a mix of decentralized and centralized applications using different platforms? Good question. So first of all, you know, I think we should acknowledge the news this week about Ethereum kind of converting over to a more uh, a greener, less energy intensive model. Congrats to them for that. But, you know, in, in terms of this, Mike, in many ways, cryptocurrency was both the best and worst thing that ever happened to blockchain, right? You have a very legitimate, potentially game-changing technology that the cryptocurrency folks, you know, obviously used as kind of the backbone to make cryptocurrency what it was. And so as that cryptocurrency world rode up and rode down and up and down and down, and we see it here, especially locally in the Miami area, how it became, you know, the crypto crowd was such a huge part of the tech industry down here, the tech scene. And with the recent crash in crypto, you know, a lot of people very unhappy. Um, however, I think what made blockchain attractive to crypto makes blockchain attractive to a lot of applications. And maybe with the cryptocurrency stuff kind of, ebbing right now will give blockchain a chance to really kind of take its place as a great tool but you know mike one of the things i think about growing up is learning to use the right tool for the job blockchain's not the answer to everything but as a tool it, it is a great tool to use for certain things and and I think as we get better at identifying those things and using blockchain for it, I don't think it has to be an either or. I think it'll all work together in one world. Yeah, I think you're right. And I don't think it's either or for private versus public. I think people no. both as a, and one will bridge to the other, depending on the use case. Yeah, use the best tool for the job. There you go. Elsewhere at this event that we were at, the Linux Foundation announced an intention to create the open wallet specification. The idea here is that anybody should be able to create their own digital wallet easily and guarantee interoperability. And it's an interesting question because a report came along that said you know, Apple Pay is now bypassing uh, MasterCard in terms of volume of transactions and will probably catch up to Visa sooner than people think. And of course, Google has its own version of a digital wallet. The two of them are slightly different in their model. Apple wants a percentage of the transaction. Google wants access to your data so that they can send you better advertising. What do you think about this whole open wallet space? Do you think we'll have lots of different implementations of digital wallets or will there only be two or three? The balkanization of digital wallets, huh? Yeah. Uh -huh. uh, Look, I, I started using Apple Pay a lot. Uh, what I like about it is I could use it strictly for my Apple card stuff kind of things, but I also have other payment methods behind the, the wallet, if you will. 
And it does give you an awful lot of flexibility and it's easy and it's fast and all the things they say it is. But you're talking to someone who wears an Apple Watch, uses an iPhone, has an iPad, has Apple TV, and a MacBook. I'm locked, right? The, I, I, I think the idea of having an, a truly open wallet isn't going to suck my info to Google so that they can sell me better stuff or give me better advertising. Thanks, but no thanks. Or continue to keep me locked into the to the spaceship out there in Cupertino or wherever the heck it is. I think it's appealing. The question is, as an open technology, security is paramount when we talk about wallets. You got to have absolute trust in the in the integrity there. And will an open wallet run even from an organization as big as the Linux Foundation? Are you going to, is it going to be bulletproof, right? And, you know, this goes back to the browser wars. If it's not built into the OS and I got to add it in, you know, Windows ain't done till notes don't run, till Lotus don't run, right? Is Apple or Google going to make it, give it equal footing with Apple Pay or Google Pay on their phones? And, you know, because that's the platform of choice for these digital wallets. Ultimately, Google and Apple pretty much uh, reacted to this announcement with deafening silence. I think you know who's behind this whole effort is the banks and everybody else who's sure. threatened by all this. So I think there's going to be a big battle here, but I don't know how it's going to play out. But to no, no, they're not threatened. They, they, but Mike, this is no different than the music play, the movie play, the TV play. You know, Apple and Google they give those phones away like razors and all of these services are the razor blades, except that they take their pound of flesh from both sides of the street, from the end user and, and from the industry folks. Well, it sounds like you're comfortable in your walled garden for now, right? Unfortunately. Yeah. Well, (laughs) I mean, I am comfortable. Yes. All right, cool. Hey buddy, as always, thanks for being on the show. All right, Mike. All right. And thank you all for listening to our show on the Digital CXO website. You can find complete episodes as well as show notes with the links to the stories we discussed today. And you can follow us on your favorite social media platform and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. We'll see you all next time.